Hello, everyone, and welcome to the final episode of the Caregiver Series of Local Folks Podcast. My name is Bob Madar, and in this episode, I'm going to talk a bit about my experience caring for my mother in the last year of her life, and how that experience compares with the local folks we have met in the previous six episodes. In the early 1990s, my mom's Parkinson's disease began to get worse, and my dad assumed the role of her caregiver. When Dad died unexpectedly in 1993, Mom was not able to live independently, and she moved in with me here in Oregon. Everything happened so fast, I really didn't have time to prepare, and all of a sudden, I was a caregiver. My memory of that time is kind of a jumbled series of vignettes rather than a chronological sequence. I remember initially there were a lot of sort of procedural and legal things I had to attend to, from taking over the management of her finances to making sure I understood her wishes about end-of-life care and documenting those wishes in an advanced directive. Because I was working full-time as a high school science teacher, I also needed to arrange for someone to care for my mom while I was at work. After a couple of weeks, my daily routine during the week went something like this. Get up about 5 in the morning, do a quick check on mom, write down any special instructions for mom's caregiver, who would be arriving later in the morning, make sure all our medications were ready for the day, and leave for school by around 6 or so, so I had some time to prepare for my classes, which started around 7.30. I'd usually call home after my first class to make sure Mom's caregiver was there and everything was okay, and after school I returned home right at 4 in the afternoon at the end of the caregiver's day. I would then cook and serve dinner, clean up, maybe watch a bit of TV with Mom, help her bathe and get ready for bed, and tuck her in by around 8.30 or so. After Mom was in bed, I would usually take care of any school-related work, grading papers, planning lessons, etc., until about 10.30 or 11, and then hit the hay. Weekends were a little less hectic, but were primarily devoted to cleaning the house, shopping for groceries and other necessities, and taking Mom on some kind of an outing. If the weather was good, I'd push her around the neighborhood in her wheelchair so she could see the gardens. And if the weather was not so good, we go for a drive. In the evenings, I might read to Mom. Due to macular degeneration, her eyesight was so weak she couldn't read. Or we might listen to music or watch a bit of TV. Any free time that I might have, especially on Sunday, was devoted to preparing for another week of teaching science. One of the common threads running through all the conversations I had with caregivers, is the importance of keeping things in perspective and maintaining a sense of humor. And I heartily agree. Mom and Dad always had a dog, and after a couple of weeks of living with me, Mom said she really wanted a dog. So after a bit of research, we got a small puppy, and Mom named her Sasha. Everything went fine for the first week or so. And then one morning, I think it was uh, on a weekend, and Mom said, Bob, I have a confession to make. Last night I tripped and fell on Sasha, and I killed her. Uh, well, I knew this didn't happen, because Sasha was sitting on her bed next to the fireplace. Uh, I called her, and she came over to me, and I said to Mom, See, Mom, Sasha's just fine. And Mom said, No, she isn't. I fell on her and broke her leg. And you have to take her to the vet. Again, I tried to convince Mom that the dog was fine. I threw a ball for her and she chased it. But that didn't make any difference to Mom. 
for the next several days, she would regularly ask me, when was I going to take Sasha to the vet? And at one point, when I said I wasn't going to take her because there was nothing wrong with her, Mom said, you're not going to take her to the vet? You bastard! <laughs> Things went along in that vein for another day or so, and then I had an inspiration. Uh, and the next time Mom asked me about it, our conversation kind of went like this. Hey, Mom, I took Sasha to the vet yesterday. Mom, what did the vet say? Well, Mom, she said Sasha's fine. No broken bones at all. My mom said, she's lying. <laughs> when I heard that, I thought, oh, oh boy, another couple of weeks of questions about the vet. But by the next day, Mom seemed to have forgotten all about the vet, and the subject never came up again. You know, I have to admit that at first, being called a bastard stung a little bit. I was working really hard to take care of my mom, and that hurt. But after a bit of reflection, I realized for mom, it was, you know, a real concern. She really believed that the dog was injured. And also that people's personalities change when they're suffering from dementia. And then, like now, I started to giggle. I don't know why, but I found, and I... <laughs> I guess I still lie. Uh, you bastard, she, she's lying. To be really funny and, and kind of endearing. That's not to say there weren't times when I really did feel irritation and anger with my mom. Sometimes it was just so frustrating to try to accomplish very simple things, like helping my mom put on a blouse. But then again, upon reflection, I realized that mom uh, it was very compromised, and she needed help, and it was difficult for her. And that the best thing that I could do was remain patient and, um, and calm. And so that's kind of what I did. Another recommendation that I gleaned from both my own experience and my conversation with caregivers is, be prepared for unexpected emergencies. Boy, I remember one event when I was caring for my mom that was an absolute doozy. It was the end of the school year, and the senior class asked me to speak at an early morning assembly a couple of days before graduation. The night before the assembly, after Mom turned in, I outlined my remarks and got to bed a little late as a result. In the morning, about a half an hour or so before my alarm went off, I heard Mom calling me from her room. When I went in to check on her, she said, I'm a mess. During the night, she had had an episode of incontinence the very first one she'd ever had in my care, and had soiled herself in her bedding. After a moment of panic, I got busy. First, I got Mom up and out of her dirty night clothes and into the shower, which was modified so she could sit and use a hand wand to wash. While she was in the shower, I stripped the bed and remade it with a new moisture barrier, fresh pad, and fresh sheets, and put the soiled things in the wash. By this time, Mom was finished with her shower bath, and I helped her put on some clean PJs and get back into bed. And after a few minutes, she went back to sleep. Once mom was taken care of, I had about 20 minutes to call the caregiver to ask her if she could come a little earlier, take a quick shower, get dressed, and leave for school to be on time for the assembly. I remember arriving about a minute or two late, rushing through the halls to the assembly venue, past several folks telling me I was late, and walking up to the podium. And you know, after that, everything's kind of a blur. I managed to speak to the students, but I really can't remember what I said or how it was received. 
It was a rather unexpected and incredibly stressful way to start the day. But you know, these things happen when you're caring for someone. It's all just part of the job. Over time, mom's condition continued to deteriorate and she finally had a serious stroke and required more care than I could provide. And she moved into a care facility here in Corvallis. After several weeks, mom had another stroke and she developed dysphagia and could no longer swallow easily. And there was a real danger that she would choke or aspirate food or liquid if she ate a normal diet. From that point forward, Every meal consisted of a kind of water-rich nutritional pudding. The problem was that she couldn't eat enough of the pudding to maintain a healthy water balance, and as a result, she gradually became more and more dehydrated. And the attending physician at the care home recommended a feeding tube. As I mentioned earlier, Mom had an advanced directive specifying no tubes, and I had medical power of attorney and was determined to honor her wishes. I asked the physician why she was recommending a tube when mom obviously was not going to recover enough to leave her bed, let alone get up and walk out of the facility. And the doctor said something like, because I'm trained to fix things. And if I see a patient with a problem, my first instinct is to treat it. That's what we doctors do. I didn't agree to a feeding tube. And over the next two or three weeks, mom's condition continued to worsen until she finally slipped into a semi-coma and was no longer able to consume anything by mouth. Once again, the physician suggested a feeding tube, and this time, I was conflicted. My wonderful mom would die if I didn't agree to a tube. So I decided to see if it was possible to ask my mom. I remember sitting next to her bed with her hand resting on my palm. Her eyes were not completely closed and we had the following conversation. Mom, if you can hear me, press my palm with your finger. And she did. Next, I told her that she was not getting enough water and we could fix that by giving her a tube. And then I said, Mom, I'm gonna ask you a question and I want you to answer by tapping my palm with your finger. One tap for yes, two taps for no. So let's try a test first. Are you ready to answer my question? One tap. Okay. The question is, do you want a feeding tube? Two taps. I looked at her face and her eyes were half closed. So I asked her if she could blink <laughs> and she winked at me. I said, mom, I'm gonna ask you the same question. I want you to blink twice for yes and once for no. Do you want a feeding tube? One blink. And I said, I got your message loud and clear, Mom. No tubes. And a couple of days later, Mom slipped into a coma. Like all of the folks I've talked to for this series, there are many times when the medical culture of curing and fixing problems is not in line with our loved one's wishes. And it's up to us to make sure those wishes are honored. Believe me. This was not an easy thing for me to do. I loved my mom, and it would have been wonderful indeed if she could have recovered enough to sit up in bed and talk with me. But I also knew it wasn't about me. It was about my mom and doing what she wanted.
think it was only two days later that I found myself sitting next to her as she lay in her bed. She was on her back, breathing peacefully through her mouth, and my major task was to occasionally wet her lips with a small sponge to keep them from drying out. While I was sitting there with Mom, several staff members came in to say goodbye, and I have a vivid memory of a former student stroking her cheek and saying, Goodbye, Katie. I love you, before bursting into tears. After several hours, I noticed a change in Mom's breathing. It was still regular and steady, but it seemed to be getting shallower. And as I watched, it got shallower and shallower. And just before it stopped, I was able to tell her how much I loved her and say goodbye. My mom died as she had lived, with dignity, grace, and poise. And I am so grateful I was able to be there with her. A couple of minutes after Mom died, the social worker, who was attached to the care facility, came into the room and asked me if Mom had... Uh, she couldn't say the word. I said yes, and the social worker immediately started to cry. And I remember giving her a hug and telling her it was okay. Mom had lived a full life, etc. Well, in my mind, I was kind of wondering, why am I comforting her when it was my mother who just died? And you know, I think it was because of, in spite of all her health problems, her dementia, etc., my mom was still there, still the same kind, caring, humorous, and compassionate person she had always been. And she connected with them, just like she connected with everyone else in her life. All of that took place almost 30 years ago, and I've had a lot of time to reflect on my experience caring for my mom. First and foremost, I am really glad I had the opportunity. It was extremely demanding, stressful, and difficult, but it was also a special time, one that I still treasure and value. After Dad died, I remember how fearful and confused Mom was, and I am so glad I could provide a safe and secure place for her. Secondly, I think my independent nature and a tendency to just take care of things myself without a lot of help from anybody else probably made things a good deal more difficult for me and possibly my mom than would have been the case if I had reached out for support from organizations like Lumina Hospice and Palliative Care here in Corvallis. For example, the transition support group mentioned by several of the folks I talked to would have been enormously helpful for me both as an emotional support and as a source of resources and ideas. Things happened so fast. One week, Mom was living at home in San Francisco, and the next she was living with me, that I just didn't have time to prepare. And once I was in the middle of caregiving, I really didn't have time or the energy to learn about what was available. So, I think I'll finish this episode um, by asking myself the same question I asked all the other folks I talked to. Imagine you're waiting for an elevator and you strike up a conversation with someone standing next to you who's waiting for the same elevator and during the conversation the person mentions that it's likely they soon will be a caregiver themselves. What advice might you give them given that you only have a few floors to talk? Well, I'd make sure to address the following points. One, always keep in mind 
that your job is to honor your loved one's wishes about what they want at the end of life as much as you possibly can. Two, take some time to learn about your patient's condition. Knowledge is power. Three, inform yourself about the kinds of resources like a hospice service that are available in your community. Four, realize that this is a journey filled with all the emotions imaginable and that there will be good days and bad days. Five, don't be afraid of death. Be afraid of prolonging life too long. Six, last but not least, maintaining a sense of humor is really helpful in navigating and accepting stressful situations. I am so grateful to Vicki, Nora, Nan, Brenda, Bill, and Kay for agreeing to talk with me and for their wisdom, honesty, and compassion. You know, I've learned so much from them about caregiving. And as I said before, I would have benefited immensely from listening to their stories when I was caring for my mom. I also want to thank Lumina Hospice and Palliative Care here in Corvallis for all their help and connected me to caregivers, and for their incredible work in helping people approaching the end of their lives, and the local folks who love and care for them. Well, thank you for listening. Um, so Christina and I are headed back to Costa Rica for a couple of months. I can hardly wait to tuck into a plate of patacones con frijoles molidos y pico de gallo after a day of body surfing. So Local Folks Podcast is going to take a vacation as well. I have a couple of ideas for some new programs, and I imagine season six will launch August 1st. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and be happy. KBOO Portland.